Coffee and Cream with Rogers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. I think just as a just a brotherhood and a camaraderie on offense, I think there's a lot of trust uh, with our offensive line. I think there's a lot of trust that's developing with Jeff. I think Jeff's developing a lot of trust with you know certain players on the team that he can trust to get open at certain times of the game. So I think just the brotherhood and the camaraderie is just, you know, you see it growing every day and the guys are making an attempt to, to make it grow. It's not, you know, they're not fighting it. They're out there trying to, you know, learn other people's names, learn things about families like you know, Coach Rule and team meeting stuff at night challenges them, you know, learn to you know, talk to other people. Don't just sit with the same people all the time. So just the brotherhood, I think, is improving. Welcome back to Coffee and Cream here on Hale Varsity Radio, AM 590 ESPN Omaha, powered by Currency. Damon Benning, What's right up? there. Ravi Lula, right here. We are joined now by our friend Brandon Vogel of Hale Varsity. Brandon, how you doing today? Not too bad. How are you guys? I'm good, B Vogues, man. I've been missing you. You doing all right? I'm doing all right. Yeah, it seems like you've been pretty busy with that. Preseason camp. Yeah, fortunately and fortunately, but uh, I, I came back. I'm, I'm fired up and ready to go, man. Robbie's got my wheels turning after listening to Coach Satterfield. And a couple months ago, he and I got into the simple versus easy thing, right? It, something sounds simple and doesn't always appear that easy. Listen to Coach Satterfield. He's talking about DOS, right? He uttered the phrase, you know, they would be basically doing a disservice if they don't play to folks' strengths, right? Like, find something they can do and get them on the field. Why do you feel like that's been so elusive for Nebraska to get help from young guys, right? It started a long time. Mm-hmm. We like to blame Frost for everything. I don't. It's gone but, way back. But remember, it was kind of Coach Solich that uttered the phrase, he's kind of swimming in things. Mm-hmm. Like, Bo Pelini doubled down on that. Like, what – what has been so elusive for Nebraska to get young help early? Yeah, it's a that's a tough question to answer. I mean, I, and I and I agree with you. Like, you know, Frost gets blamed for a lot of things, and <clears throat> it's an easy one where you can point to kind of like his reputation as an offensive play caller. You know, you could associate some ego with that of being like, well, the offense works. Like, the offense is good. Like, it's up to you guys to to figure it out. But you know. You go past that, even just to sort of the Langsford era, which I thought was, you know, a pretty good offense at times. Yeah. Um, but even there, you know, it wasn't the like, hey, we've got this freshman. Um, you know, Wandale Robinson's a good example, you know, not the Langsford area, but they got him involved. It was it was a guy where it was like, we just need to get him X number of touches a game. Now, unfortunately, uh, some of those touches came, came in ways that eventually uh, – kind of pushed him to to a different option but it's it's strange because it really does go back i mean i certainly remember it i started covering the team during the era remember there of like yeah you know there's there's a lot to to get used to you know it's i, I think it, it probably all comes down to you just got to be a little bit egoless mm. um if you're going to be with a guy like dos that's like 
you know what, this guy can do one or two things really, really well. Uh, we're going to have to be smart with how we use that, but we're going to give him the opportunity to do those things. And you're also going to take, you know, because you can't just put him out there to run three or four plays. Uh, we're going to take the bumps in the road where teams know that, oh, he's not really a threat here. But you gotta, you got to kind of balance that. Brandon, I'm curious because we kind of got talking about how it seems like this staff is more interested in what guys can do than sort of picking the holes in what uh, they can't do in their game. Do you think that's kind of an accurate description of how they're viewing their position groups right now? I think I think so, and I think probably right now wide receiver is maybe the best example of that where, you know, they're experiencing some, some real limitations and some real inexperience. I mean, I think Rule has said things effectively to, to that um, – almost almost directly about you know you come in as a new coach and everybody's ready to tell you what these guys can't do um and you know it's it's easy to be like i'm the guy that likes to focus on what they can but if that's what you're really about i mean that's a pretty significant philosophical switch of mm-hmm. if you could show up and you've got eight nine ten guys however however many it is that are like yeah he just can't he can't do this well then what do you do with that like if you buy into that line of thinking then you've just got eight, nine, ten, and we're not talking about guys down the depth chart in that case. We're talking about contributors who are just like, yeah, he plays for us, but don't ask him to do X, Y, Z. Um, it's kind of up to you as a coach to figure out well, if that's true. If I determine for myself that's true, um, but we don't have better options, I better figure out a way to to minimize X, Y, Z, whatever those those kind of negative characteristics, I guess, are. Brand, you said something that which you often do that leads me to think of something else. You said something about egoless, and I'm, and I'm kind of nodding my head because it does have to be that way. How much of a direct correlation between the way Coach Rule put the staff together and their personalities versus their development in terms of finding roles for guys and figuring it out has to do with the fact that they don't appear to be a staff where individually – they have a lot of other aspirations and egos, right? It, he doesn't appear to be coaching with anybody that wants his job. Yeah, I, I think I think that's important, um, and I think that's another one where Rule has you know said at various times that like he wants these guys to progress, which you know every coach is is going to say that, but it's it's drastically different to in my mind and, and i don't mean this as, as a negative in any way but it's drastically different bringing in somebody like marcus satterfield um who broadly in college football was anybody talking about that south carolina offense the past two right. years yeah. um not that not that i saw versus uh, say wisconsin where you bring in a jeff levy a guy who who is a name for for his offensive system his play calling like where he came up through and, and of course, both can work. Um, both might end up working, but it's just it's it's a very different thing. And you kind of look at this staff and say, okay, well, who are the future future head coaches here? And I don't even know if that's a worthwhile measure. Um, but mm. it's it's something you have to think about as as the guy in charge. And for me, I kind of you get down the list a little bit of, of some of the younger coaches because they just have more more time and more maybe a ceiling still to to figure out where their ceiling is. Um, those are the first ones that come to mind for me. So uh, bringing in a Satterfield, even Tony White, you know, who was the, the kind of the big hire. I mean, he's a coordinator, 
outside of their their typical family mm-hmm. doing good things at Syracuse but again like you had to get pretty deep into the college football weeds to find somebody to be like let me tell you here's a guy you need to watch for it's, it's Tony White and that's not a negative towards him it's you know largely I think a result of where they where they coached we're talking with Brandon Vogel of Hale Varsity uh Brandon I'm curious what your thought process is when you hear I believe both Satterfield and McGuire yesterday talk about a positionless offense I think part of that goes to what we're talking about about just finding ways to get playmakers on the field but I mean from a practical standpoint uh, what do you start to visualize that that might look like um, I think it mostly comes down to, to probably using your backs and receivers in, in creative ways. And, and I would include tight ends with, with the receivers there. Um, you know, I think back to that South Carolina, Tennessee game where South Carolina kind of had it going from the jump and was really pretty controlled, especially on their first drive, but they were picking up yards consistently with, you know, some fairly standard passes. Um, but as things like, as, as, as it was clear, like, Oh, Tennessee, which, you know, wasn't, great defensively a year ago couldn't really stop them in that game then you started to see kind of all of the it was we can play any card and and think we can take the trick here from a from a play calling perspective you know there was a couple of reverses i think there was a wide receiver pass in there and you know and it's not like those kind of like trick plays become what it is to mean positionless but i think it really is kind of literally defined of hey we're going to get guys the ball in creative ways the key to doing that, that can't be your offense. That can be kind of your constraint. So you've got to be able to to pick up those yards consistently, whether it's on the ground, whether it's through your kind of base passes. And, and that remains the big piece that, you know, we just don't know about Nebraska yet. How are they going to move the ball on when it's, say, second and six? You know, it's just a, a 50-50 down. And what are, what are you going to do? That's interesting. Uh, I think of guys like Bonner, Borkature, Fedoni, because one thing I know for sure, if I if I couldn't tell you exactly what the offense will look like, I do know the premises: make cornerbacks tackle and make linebackers cover, right? Like that's generally what they're after in terms of their concept. I can just imagine those guys, just a few of the aforementioned, breaking the huddle and you not being able to personnel them really. Mm. As a defense, right? Well, this is 12 personnel or this is 21 per. Like, they could be anywhere. And I know it's kind of become a running joke, right? Well, you know, Borkatcher could be a quarterback or Borkatcher could be a what? I do think there's something to that, though, if you operate under the assumption that they are after making cornerbacks tackle and making linebackers cover. Yeah, uh, I mean, and that's, that's an interesting concept, you know, just with where football has gone. I'm guessing – linebackers have probably gotten better at coverage. They're just asked to do it more. Cornerbacks, as you know, the game kind of eternally moves towards a little bit more pass, they've probably gotten a little bit worse at tackling. Um, so that, that gets intriguing. And when you have, when you look at a guy like Fedoni, where, yeah, you know, he, he can line up in the slot. He can be your, your, your true wide out. Um, he can be in line if you want him to be. Um, and, and certainly with Bonner, um, you know, just based on where he's coming from, we'll see how much he's ready for, but kind of a true, like, jackknife of a player. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you can get you can get creative. And, and going in the huddle here is one of those areas where it might, like, okay, we can see, they're sitting back there in the huddle, we can see what 11 numbers are on the field. 
and kind of get ready for that. But if you break that huddle pretty quickly and, you know, all of a sudden Fedoni's outside the numbers or something, it, it becomes a scramble in a way that I think teams are maybe less used to as everybody's gotten used to kind of up-tempo, no huddle stuff. Yeah, it's just weird. We, you know, as a defense, helping put it together at the high school level, you know, we're, we're a spilled defense, so we want most things to bounce. And we try at all costs not to have things spilled to corners. Mm -hmm. But if our corners can tackle, we feel really good about how we can play as a defense. I, I think sometimes we forget that even though linebackers are better in space, they're still not as good as your secondary guys in coverage for the most part. And cornerbacks still don't tackle as much as interior guys. I, sometimes I just think we make it too complicated. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, and it, I think a lot of the times in college football that's becoming a question is, you know, it's always been like if you got two really good corners, you're, you're going to be able to, to do some things. But the tackling piece of the equation really comes to the forefront um, in an era of football like we're in right now. And it's funny, too, because I said the, two, the number one and two traits that Coach White asks of his secondary is you have to be tough and you have to be able to tackle. Mm. Right, like so, I'm he. I'm operating under the the assumption that he knows that that's what people will try to do as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's an area where you know Nebraska having the numbers it does back there, and the freedom of a first year coaching staff to just be like, yeah, we know who's played a lot, but really, this is is kind of an equal footing scenario. Uh, you got a lot of options, and I expect to see a lot of options back there. Brandon, I'm curious. We talk a lot about the offensive side of the ball with Satterfield, and obviously that's who we heard from yesterday. It seems like we've spent less time. I don't know if it's just us or if it's kind of a general thing, but it seems like we've spent less time trying to figure out what the defense is going to look like. Is that just because we don't have as good of a frame of reference for the 3-3-5 as, as maybe we do on the offensive side, or is it just we like offense more than defense? Um, I think it, I think it's a little bit of both of those things. Um, I also think there maybe is a, a, a dash of, well, you can look at the defense, particularly the back six or the, the back um, <clears throat> eight, I guess, in this case, um, and be like, yeah, there's some, there's, there's some guys I feel pretty good about, you know, when you start talking about uh, Gifford and Hartzog and Newsom. Um, and then the linebackers with, with Reimer and Henrich, at least as two guys who have played a ton of football. So I think there's a little bit of that in there too. And also, you know, the, the billing for this three, three, five, for the people who like dug into it and gone out there and kind of did the off season research is, you know, expect, like expect a lot of blitzes, expect it to be pretty aggressive, which are things that people like, um, and, and kind of come from, from all angles, you know, that's, that tend to be the the selling point i think for for this type of approach but at the end of the day you know i think offense will always kind of lead the way in terms of intrigue uh just because you gotta be able to score points somewhere or another you know unless you're gonna be like uber uber shut down defense you're gonna give up 12 13 points a game like eventually you're just gonna have to you're gonna you're gonna be able you need to score um, and most of the questions, I think the big questions, reside for Nebraska on that side of the ball. Yeah, it's, I, I th it, it, it's strange because I think I was just looking at um, social media, and my man Thomas said, you know, it's interesting that Iowa was 130 out of 131 and still won eight games. I think part of the fascination that we're talking about is 
as I think as a fan base and in general in the media, we feel more comfortable talking about offense because it's more recognizable when it's going well Mm -hmm. than it is defense, right? We don't – 98% of the people watching don't know, like, responsibilities and who's supposed to have what we think we do. But I think defense, for the most part, is harder for us to figure out to the naked eye than it is to look at offense. Yeah, that's interesting. I think you're – I think you're right. Like, if you're a top 30 defense, if you're towards the the bottom of those 30, you know, you're probably giving up 22 points a game, something like Mm -hmm. that. And it's like, yeah, defense is is hanging in there. Um, Gave up some yards, but got some key stops. Like, that's that's good defense, Um, especially especially today. Offensively, like, you could probably be a top 50 offense and get more credit for that. (laughs) Um, just because of the yard totals, point totals, um, whatever it might be. And, you know, like whatever's fair to expect for Nebraska is fair to expect. Uh, Everybody can kind of determine that on their own. But, like, if things go really well, like if you told me Nebraska would be a top 30 defense, top 50 offense, it'd be like game on. Like that's that's a great first year in my mind. So it'd be interesting to see, like, which of those was viewed as better if we got to that at the end of that season, which, if, if that were to happen, probably is about eight and four-ish somewhere. It's funny. I was messing with Rob yesterday. People are kind of sleeping on Clemson, and I think they're going to be coming from off the grid a little bit, especially as I look at the AP rankings yesterday. And they have 400, over 400 yards a game last year in total offense. That number seems high for how we remember that Clemson offense. Is that a good number, do you think? Is there, are you more about points per game for this offense this year or the, or the yardage output as the staff tries to grow and develop the personnel within this offense? Yeah, I think um... – I mean, I always I have a bias towards towards points. Um, usually, when I look at stats, like I I like those that have some some version of scoring in there because ultimately, like that's the, that's the ultimate goal, right? Um, <clears throat> I think with this offense, with as many questions as I have now, you know, basically two weeks and a couple of days from from the opener, I think there's going to be defined by that. It's going to come down to. Um, are you able to to maximize opportunities when you get on the opponent's half? Like all of like nitty gritty stuff that's not very fun, that's easy to miss, um, is is what they're going to need to do to to have a successful season on that on that side of the ball. So, you know, somebody like Clemson and obviously a lot of talent there brings in one of the best OC hires of, of the off season. I think certainly a guy who is his his star is is certainly rising. Uh, and Garrett Riley, uh, pretty intriguing because yeah, it's there's there's the narrative out here that Clemson is uh, these are kind of the last days of, of its its great era, and I'm like, eh. <laughs> they still got a lot of the same quality of players they've always had. They're high on the new court, or, you know, on their quarterback who we saw a little bit last year. And oh, by the way, they brought in Garrett Riley who helped TCU get to the uh, national championship game. So maybe let's let's take a wait and see approach with the Tigers. Brandon Vogel, Hale Varsity. Great stuff, as always. We appreciate your time and uh, all the time that you always give us. Appreciate you, B. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. That's our friend, Brandon Vogel, Hale Varsity. Um, you know, I, I, I take – I mean, Illinois was like two, 210 passing last year, 166 on the ground. You take that? 
Would you take Illinois last year? Yeah, I think I would. So my my point in saying that is I'll take it. Sometimes the statistical number, like the actual hardcore data, doesn't matter as much as either sure. efficiency or playing complementary football. Yeah, so I uh, – you, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, Iowa's a bad example because we would lose our minds if, if it our looked offense, like that. Yeah, if our offense was, was that inept. So but that's what I was actually just going to say is I watched a decent amount of Illinois last year. I watched, a, obviously, a ton of Iowa last year. And on paper – I'm sure that there's some difference because just how bad Iowa was, but the gap's probably not as big as my perception I, of I, their offenses. At, at first blush, I would probably I'm inclined to probably agree because I remember watching Illinois' offense. Like, okay, it's not dynamic, but it didn't seem incompetent. Well, remember some of the criticisms of Brown at the running back spot was mm-hmm. is he wasn't a game breaker. He was Chase Brown was. You know, if you needed five, he was going to get you five. If you, you needed, needed three, ten. he was going to get you. If you needed ten, he, he was, was going to get, get you five. five. Yeah. If you needed right. three, he'd get you five. If you need <laughs> so, five, get you five. If you need ten, he's getting you five. <laughs> you know, and I and I remember we were kind of capping that game, and I, it, it's like, gosh, just don't let him get to the high twenties in carries because that's that, the only way he's going to get to. That was a all of a sudden mean that you gave up 150 yards to a back on the ground and they were possessing the ball. So I think. The whole complimentary thing its a big deal. is a huge, huge deal. If Nebraska could look like Illinois did last year, I think we would all be thrilled. Yes, I think I'm kind of – if, like, you're listening to me over the last three months, I'm talking myself into I wouldn't mind being Illinois, right? At least, at least in the near term. Right. right? I, I, yeah. wanna, I want the good, strong – Really strong defense. Defensive lines. Really strong complementary football. And I like their gap. I, I like their it's, – it's gap scheme is what they do. I, mm-hmm. like, I like their running design because it allows your offensive line to be powerful and kind of come off the ball. That's the number one thing I want to see about this offense. Mm-hmm. It's not Sims. It's not the wide receiving core. It's will I run the ball in such a way that allows my offensive line to have some success. Mm. And I just mean getting downhill, getting after guys. Because there's something to be said for just running the ball downhill, Mm -hmm. especially if you're not a heavily penalized team. You can win a ton with second and six and a long sixes, even sevens to some degree, because you get to second and six, six and second and seven, you get to third, third and threes threes and third and third twos. Yeah, like that, those things are those are, are manageable. Very, very manageable. Where you, you don't get ha- in trouble is second and fifteen, or second and eights and nines, and then third and six or seven or ten. Right. So, like if if they can, how they want to run the ball and what mm-hmm. they do with, like just th- this is a little footbally, but not so much. Like, if you could just sprinkle in, like, trap mm-hmm. or veer, just though one of those concepts or two of them, it keeps your linemen at, theoretically at bay, right? If I'm, if I'm getting ready for game planning, I'm like, okay, what, what's their inside run game look like? How do they like to run the ball? Is it gap? Is it dart? Is it this? Because if they don't do certain things, I know that I can play a certain way defensively. Mm. So just the, the ability to run – between guard, center guard, yeah, changes the way you can play defense sometimes. Interesting. We'll get into that more. Cody, hang on the line here. We'll get into your call as well. 
We've got more of Coffee and Cream coming up next.